We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. How's everybody doing today? You doing good? Come on, you can do better than that if you're doing good. Can you make some noise today? Yeah. Well, if I haven't met you yet, some of you are wondering, like, who's this guy up here? Where's Pastor Peter at? Listen, my name's Jason Laird, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, uh, I'm here every, a few times every year, and uh, I get the honor to get to come and serve uh, through teaching the Word of God, and it's one of the greatest honors that I have, and I want to welcome everyone here if this is your first time, and also welcome all of our campuses. Can we do this? Can we clap our hands and show our love and appreciation for people that are here for the first time, or maybe checking us out online? Yeah. And... Um, it's, it is an honor to get to be here. I, uh, I bring greetings on behalf of my family. Uh, my family we, and I, we, we all live in Nashville, Tennessee. We call it Nash Vegas. It's a little wild there in Nashville. Uh, but we're originally from Louisiana. And so I just need to go ahead and take a moment and just kind of boast about something. Because uh, some of you guys may or may not be college football fans. But last night, something really big happened. First of all, my wife surprised our kids and drove from Nashville eight hours to Louisiana to go to the LSU-Alabama game. And, uh, uh, and Alabama, that's, de- that's the devil's team. I mean, I'm just going to say that right now. University of Alabama, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, of the occult. And anyway, but LSU is the Lord's team. And we prayed, and last night in overtime, we beat Alabama in Jesus' name. And so I'm just going to tell you this right now. There's a special grace and anointing on me uh, that I came here, and it's going to shift over to the Vikings, and today we will win in Jesus' name. Anyway, uh, I just want to say how much of an honor it is to get to be here with you. I don't feel like a guest. Uh, I, I was in the lobby meet, uh, you know, meeting a few people and seeing, seeing some new faces and some old faces in between service, services, and I just love it every time I get to come here. Uh, the Apostle Paul said uh, regarding a church that he planted in, 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 uh, Th- in Thessalonica, he said, uh, I think it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, um, we loved you so much, you become so dear to us, we were delighted to share not only our message w- with you, but our very lives. And what he's saying is, is that the more I've been around you, my affection has grown, and I don't want to just do ministry, I want to do life. This, we're like family, and I feel that. I feel that affection for Substance Church and I feel that for your pastors. How many of you, you, you love your pastors? You love Pastor Peter and Carolyn. Okay, if you love them, now if you're at another campus, you don't really get to do this, but we're gonna send them a video. And so uh, I'm gonna do a little selfie. We're gonna go around the world and you guys need to clap, cheer, go crazy if you love your pastors, okay? Hey, uh, Pastor Peter and Carolyn, we just wanna tell you we're having a party over here without you. And uh, thank you for entrusting uh, the platform with me, but we just want to honor you and show some love and appreciation. So on the count of three, Substance Church, let's go. One, two, three. Hey, let's go. We love you so much. That's awesome. We're going to send that to them. Got to have a little bit of fun in church. But seriously, I love your pastors. They've become dear friends uh, to Jennifer and I and our family. And, uh, and one of the things that I love about your pastors is like right now, um, your pastors, Pastor Nate and Pastor Peter, are over in Ireland. You may not know this, but they're, they are there, not on a vacation, but they're there pouring into over 300 pastors, local pastors. They're equipping them. They're encouraging them. They're building them up on behalf of you. 
And so I just think that that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I wanna tell you why, because what I really see and sense about Substance Church and about your pastors is this, is that there's this apostolic, what I would call an apostolic grace and anointing on this church and on, on your pastors, where there is a local ministry expression here and God's doing phenomenal things here and your best days are in front of you, by the way. But he's doing something amazing here locally, but God's given your pastors this global heart. And it's not just about the church that God's building here, but it's about the big C church. It's about the kingdom of God. How many of you are thankful that you have pastors that care about not just building some empire, but building the kingdom of God? And they are out there serving and pouring into these pastors. And it's just, to me, it's so such a beautiful thing. And uh, you guys, uh, you, you send them out to do that over in Ireland. But I think recently they were in Canada. They're there every year. And I just think it's a, a very inspiring thing that God's not only using Substance Church to take ground here, but apostolically, God's using this church to take ground around the world. And so it's a beautiful thing. And so keep your pastors in their prayers, in your prayers as they travel. And um, I, I love them so much. And so today, we're gonna jump into a, a passage of scripture that I really love. So if you have your Bibles, go with me over to Ephesians chapter four, and we'll put it up on the screens if you don't have it. Uh, very lighthearted topic today I wanna talk to you about, uh, forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, just a... Little, little easy overcoming offense and uh, hurt. And I mean, this is like a fitting message going into the holidays because you're gonna have to see some people that maybe uh, you're gonna need this message. Around Thanksgiving or Christmas, you may need this. Um, but the phrase that the Lord kind of dropped in my, in my heart was these three words, and this is what I've titled or branded this sermon. It's this, it's turn the page. That's what I felt like the Lord wanted to speak to us today. I want you to turn the page, turn the page. What does that mean? The implication of that phrase is, is used in many different ways. And, and, and this is really it. It's this encouragement that there's still more to your story. You got to turn the page. There's more to be written. Your story isn't over, no matter how good or how bad previous chapters of your life have been. There's still more that God desires to do in your life. And along that same train of thought, I begin to think about this phrase, turn the page. The reality is, is that what it's speaking to is that it's so easy in life to get stuck in your story. It's so easy to get stuck on one page or in one chapter of your life. And though seasons change and there's new stages of life and you may get older and things may move on for some reason, it's so easy to get stuck in a particular page of your life. Stuck in a tragedy, stuck in a struggle, stuck in a disappointment, stuck in a dream that, that, that failed or a dream that never got started, stuck in a previous day that seemed like it was your greatest success and now your greatest days are behind you and the future does not look that bright and you can get stuck in your previous success and you lose your dreams for the future and you can get stuck even in offense and pain and, and life handing you some real tragedy. But I felt like the Lord said today, you need to hear this. It's time to turn the page. There's more to your story that the Lord wants to write. And the story that he wants to write is a beautiful story. And so you can't stay stuck. And in my personal experience, one of the things in my 41 years of being alive, and I know that's maybe for some of you that's young, for some of you that's ancient, but for a 41-year-old, what I've discovered in my 41 years is that one of the things that's the easiest to get stuck in is unforgiveness. When someone has hurt you because of something they've done or not done, something they've said or failed to say, and it can wound us to such a degree that we get stuck in our story. 
And it becomes the lens by which we see all of life because you don't see things as they are. You see things as you are. And you can begin to see through the filter of your own offense and bitterness. And so turning the page today, here's what it means in this context. It means choosing to forgive. God wants us to choose to forgive. And so the question is how? When someone has hurt us, someone has wounded us, someone has offended us, no matter the scale, if it's small or large, how do we turn the page? How do we move beyond our, our pain and our, our struggle internally, the, the interior brokenness of our life where we're harboring bitterness? How do we move beyond that? Well, I, I told you a story, maybe it was earlier this year or last year about my own family of origin and how, man, it wasn't perfect by no means. We were very broken. Christian home, my parents were in ministry, but somewhere along the way, my father just, he never dealt with his childhood brokenness and eventually his brokenness began to rise with the pressures of ministry and the pace of life and, and his brokenness began to just, just come out of him and he turned verbally abusive and then, 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 then he became emotionally abusive and then physically abusive and to the point where my mom, she had to live in a battered women's shelter and my father, he, he left our family and I lived with my high school football coach and it was a very dark, hard season. As a 15 year old, seeing what I saw was very painful and I became so bitter on the inside and so broken and so negative the way I viewed life and cynical and critical and I became not only bitter at my father but it began to permeate other areas of my life and I just became bitter at everyone and angry at everyone, even God. But there was a day when I read this scripture. How many believe that the word of God, just one word from God can change everything? I read this scripture and it was in Ephesians chapter four and it radically transform my life and it began, it was like this catalytic moment that began the healing and freedom process, releasing me from the bondage of bitterness and, and, and pushing me forward in faith, but in freedom, freedom from my past hurt, freedom from the, the struggle internally, freedom from the unforgiveness. It began to, to release me into my future, into what God had for me. And the pages of my life began to look so much differently. Because here's why. Because when you release grace, grace releases you. And God taught me through this text how to forgive. And I want to unpack that for a little bit with you. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he says this. In the context here, he's speaking to Christians in Ephesus. And he actually calls them children of the light. And in other words, he's saying you used to walk in darkness like the rest of the culture around you, but God turned the lights on and now you're in the light and you're to live in the light. And he starts talking about how there's certain types of relational breakdowns that you're going through and it actually grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the heart of God. And he's like, that's not how children of the light should live. And so he goes on and he says in verse 31, so get rid of all bitterness, rage, Anger, even towards Alabama, Jason. Anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You know what he's saying? This, this trajectory, this, this, um, this, 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 this way that you're going, the, the direction of anger and slander and bitterness and, and being all negative, he was like, you gotta get that out of your life. That's not how children of the light live. And it actually grieves the very heart of God, the Holy Spirit. He's like, get that out of your life. Turn the page. In verse 32, he says, instead, instead, as children of the light, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, 
like with a soft heart. Children of the light are to have a soft heart towards people, empathetic, caring, compassionate, and sympathetic. He says, forgiving one another. These next two words, we're gonna come back to it later, but he says, forgiving one another, just as, just as what? Just as long as they promise to never do it again? Forgive just as long as you give them the silent treatment and they pay you back? They're not having a relationship with you? Forgive just as, as long as you don't have to ever have anything to do with them again? No, he says, forgive just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. He said there's a new standard as children of the light. Now, here's the thing. When you read this, you have to understand that the Apostle Paul is not being insensitive. It can almost feel like when someone tells you, you just gotta get over it. That thing that he did to you or she said to you, just get over it. It can feel so insensitive and and you can read this text and think, Paul, don't you have any empathy? Don't you have any compassion? You don't know my story. You don't know what I went through. And you're just telling me, just get over it. Just get rid of the anger. Get rid of the bitterness. And here's what you've got to understand. Paul's words carry weight. Why? Because he's writing this letter to the the Christians in Ephesus. And he's writing not from an island where he's sipping on a Mai Tai. He's not in a place of pleasure. He's actually in a prison He's in a prison because he's been falsely accused of things. He's had many of his friends abandon him, many of his contemporaries in in, in ministry that have walked out on him. He has gone through much shipwreck, beat. He's He's been stoned, and not with weed, but stoned. He has had a lot of problems, okay? He has every right to be bitter at people. He has every right to be an angry person shackled up in a cell, He has every right to be that that person that they just spew with cynicism and and, and negativity. And yet he says, listen, guys, trust me. It's not going to do you any good if you hold on to bitterness. I'm a man that has every right to be bitter at people, but I've chosen to have a tender heart towards people because I'm a child of the light. You need to live by the same standard. This is kingdom ethics. This is Christian ethics. He says, we're not like children of the dark. We're not like the culture. We're not like the world around us that cancels people and writes people off and has no grace for people. He says, we're different because we're followers of Jesus and we have been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, as children of the light, we choose forgiveness and grace. He says, this is who we are. And he calls them to a higher place. He's not just saying, get over it. He's saying, hey, it's time to turn the page. It's time to turn the page. You ever notice there's some things in life that are just hard to get over? I remember my first crush, Mandy. Her name was Mandy. It was in the 90s, boy, back in the boys to men days. Y'all don't even know about that. I'd play a little boys, a little usher. Hey, Mandy, what's up? I felt so hard for this girl. She was beautiful. She was unbelievable. We started dating. I thought, I'm going to marry this girl. I'm like, I think I was like 13 years old. I'm like, I'm going to marry this girl. She's the one. Tell my mom, mom, she's the one. She's like, really? So I'm like, I'm telling you, the Lord told me she is the one. A couple months into it, she, uh, she meets me at church by the baptismal. And she says, it's not you. It's me. I said, what do you mean it's you? She said, I think, I think, I think we're done. It's not you. It's me. And I was like, what, what do you mean it's me? She was like, I, um, I, um, I, I, I like somebody else now, Jason. I was like, no, no, you can't. You can't. The Lord told me. He spoke it prophetically. Burning bush, angelic 
trumpet. I heard the Lord. She's like, you did not hear the Lord. I, I fell for someone else. I was like, who? Who is it? She says, your brother. <laughs> I was back in the 90s, and I had a waterbed. Y'all remember waterbeds? I remember going home that night, laid my head on that waterbed, and turned on some Mariah Carey, a little I'll be there. I'll be there. And I'm crying, face sweating, my face sticking to that, that mattress, waterbed. I mean, those are the days right there, boy. I didn't think I'd ever get over it. There's some things in life, it's just hard to get over. It's hard to get over certain things. You see hair in your food and you're at a restaurant, that's hard to get over that. Some of you, by a show of hands, you're like, no, I'll just pick that out and just keep eating. How many of you in here? You are sick. You people are crazy. You need Jesus is what you need. Can't get over that. Once I see that, I just can't get over it. Some things are just hard to get over. But what I've discovered in life is the hardest thing to get over is when someone has, has hurt you deeply, especially those that are closest to you. A spouse, a child, a family member, maybe a best friend, you feel like they have stabbed you in the back. It is sometimes very, very hard to get over those things. And, and I, I, would, I would suppose that the reason it's so hard to simply just get over it is because when someone has hurt you, it makes you have this sense, this feeling that something has been taken from you. Something has been stolen from you. And now it's created a debt. And you can't get over it until things are settled up and things are made right with this debt. You want them to pay for what they have done. And that's why it's called payback. When someone offends you and hurts you and betrays you or stabs you in the back or lets you down, does something they should have never done, what it does is it accrues a debt and you feel like something was stolen from you and you want them to pay for it, but you shouldn't pay for it. See, when someone's sexually abused, there's this sense that your innocence was stolen from you. You're physically, emotionally, or verbally abused. You feel like you're robbed of your dignity and your humanity. When your parents go through that divorce, there's this sense as a kid that you were robbed of a normal childhood. When your friend betrays you, you have this sense that you were taken advantage of. When someone talks about you or gossips about you, you have this sense that the respect that you deserve was robbed from you. And, and here's what happens. The offense brings hurt and hurt creates a debt and someone has to pay for it, but it shouldn't be you. They should have to pay for it. My dad hurt me when I was 15 years old and, and I determined consciously or subconsciously that the way that he would pay for it would be, I would never speak to him again. We would live estranged and, and, and I would never let him be a part of my life and I would ne never let him be a part of his grandchildren's life whenever I would have grandchildren. And that was the payback plan. You hurt me, you created a debt, you robbed me of a normal childhood and now you're going to pay this debt. Which brings me to forgiveness. See, forgiveness is, is actually not just a theological term. It's actually a financial term. Forgiveness actually simply just means canceling the debt. Canceling the debt. That's all it means. But when you think about this theologically, it's whenever someone has hurt us and wound us, wounded us, we are now taking the debt that we feel they owe us and that, that has been accrued and we're saying, hey, debt canceled, you don't owe me anymore. As a matter of fact, whenever God finally began to work in my heart to have the courage to, to have a conversation with my father after 10 years, God told me specifically what to say to him, to look him in his eyes and say, dad, debt canceled. 
you don't owe me anymore. And when I said that to him, the grace of God that I experienced, I cannot even tell you. I've, I've never experienced it other, apart from salvation. It was the most powerful moment of restoration and healing that I've ever experienced. But it was, it was a decision to cancel the debt. For some of you, you may be thinking, but Jason, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what I'm currently walking through. You don't know what she did. You don't know how many nights I've laid my head on my pillow and I've cried myself to sleep because of what happened to me. It was unfair. It was wrong. And listen to me. Grace does not minimize what happened to you. It never does, but it magnifies the grace of God. Jason, you don't know. Listen, I don't know, but God knows. And he sent me here to tell you today, he has grace for you to turn the page. The question is, why should you? Why should you turn the page? Why should you forgive? I'm gonna give you two simple reasons. The first one is this, here's why you should forgive, because unforgiveness, it actually, look, look, it actually hurts you. It actually hurts you. In other words, the greatest victim of unforgiveness is the one who refuses to forgive. Unforgiveness turns to bitterness and bitterness, it begins to bring trouble into our lives. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, hey, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. There's a few things you have to notice here. The first one is this, is that bitterness is poison. It's poisonous for your life, for your soul. It'll make your soul so toxic. Joyce Meyer says this, she says, bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The person that it brings the most trouble to is ourselves whenever we choose not to forgive. And notice in Hebrews, it says that it's, it's a, a bitter root that will actually grow up. It will grow. You see, what that tells us, the implication is this, is that bitterness can never stay isolated or small. It will grow. It will begin to take over your life. If You may just be bitter at him, but then you begin to take it out on your kids. You may just be bitter at your boss, but then you rage out when you're in your car and somebody pulls in front of you. Why? Because bitterness, it grows up in our life and it will choke the very life out of our soul. It grows. It grows. I was a troubled person. I was so troubled as a young man after I walked through that with my parents. I just felt like my dad robbed me of so much and I was so mad and angry at him. And what happened is, is I began to actually turn so angry that I began to get, I was 15 years old, I began to get in fights all the time. I remember this one particular summer when it first started, I got into this first fight and, and I really hurt this person. And afterwards, I actually walked around this house, I was at a party, and I, I knelt down beside an air conditioner unit so no one would see me and I began to weep and cry after I just really hurt someone, beat someone up really bad. And I realized something, now looking back, I was crying not because I, I was hurt, I was crying because for the first time in a long time, hurt, me hurting that person, it anesthetized my own pain. And I came to this discovery that when I hurt other people, it actually it makes it feel like my life is not so bad. Why? Because have you ever heard this? Hurt people hurt people. And when we choose not to forgive someone, it creates this cycle. And so our hurt becomes 
unforgiveness. Our unforgiveness becomes bitterness. Our bitterness becomes anger. And then we begin to hurt other people. And it starts this perpetual cycle in our lives. And then that person that gets hurt, if they don't choose to forgive, then guess what they do? It turns into unforgiveness, which turns into bitterness, then turns into anger. And they hurt someone else. And this is what is happening even in our culture. It's the cycle of bitterness. And the only thing that can break it is grace, the power of grace, the power of forgiveness. But if we don't deal with our hurt, eventually our hurt will begin to hurt us and we'll begin to hurt other people. I'll, I'll never forget seeing this counselor and um, I was meeting with him and he knew the dynamics of our family of origin and he knew the place that I was in. I was, I was actually appointed to go see him from a court because I started getting arrested from getting in so many fights. And um, I picked up thir- three felonies and 13 misdemeanors. I mean, that's a pretty great rap sheet for a pastor, right? Right? We don't put those credentials on the wall. They were all expunged, thank God. But anyway, I was a very broken young man. 15 to 18, I was, I was, I was t- developing my testimony. Let's just say that. And I saw this counselor, and, and you know what he said? After he heard me, I was spewing out all this anger about my dad and how much I hated him. And he said, Jason, he said, your dad was hurt by his parents. He never dealt with it. He said, and then he began to hurt other people. And that's why he hurt you. It's not because he didn't love you. He just, he was a hurt young man that never dealt with it. And the cycle started. And then he hurt you. He said, and now you're hurting others. Jason, the man you resent, you actually resemble. And I realized this, and this is a proposition to you. If you don't forgive the person that has hurt you, the one you resent, you will eventually resemble. And that's not what we want. But that's the reality. And the first reason why you should forgive is because you're the person that is hurting the most if you choose not to. Second reason is this, equally as important. You need to forgive. Why? Because you will need forgiveness again one day. I want you to say this with me. Say this. Say, I am not perfect. Come on, some of you are getting liberated right now. I am not perfect. You sit by your spouse. Tell them, say, say that again. Look at the person sitting next to you. Say, I am not perfect. I'm not perfect. Look at the other person and tell them, say, I know you ain't perfect. Tell them, say. (laughs) We're human and we will make mistakes, unfortunately. And you will need grace and forgiveness again. You'll need your spouse to forgive you. You'll need your son or your daughter to forgive you. You'll need your parent to forgive you, your boss to forgive you. You'll need God to forgive you. Every one of us, because we're not perfect, we're broken people that are in the process of being sanctified by the spirit of God and the truth of God. And we're not perfect. There will be a day where all will be made right and and we'll stand before Christ face to face and we'll hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. And then then, then everything that was imperfect will become perfect. But, but for now, on this side of heaven, listen, we're, we're not perfect, which means there will come a moment where you're gonna need the grace of God again. I love that when the disciples asked Jesus, they, they said, how should we pray? He says, well, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And look at this. And forgive us our debts, our sin, our offense, the way we've hurt you, God. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, those that have hurt us. I want you to think about this. Are you willing to pray that kind of prayer? Lord, forgive me in the same way I forgive people. Have you ever prayed like that before? Because Jesus said, that's actually how you should pray. Lord, to the same degree that I forgive people, 
that have hurt me, I want you to forgive me like that. Lord, to the same degree that I forgave my father, forgive me like that. God, the same way I showed my boss grace, God, show me grace like that. Man, that's a scary prayer. I don't want to pray that prayer. That's a hard prayer. But I think one of the best things that we can do is daily in prayer, we, we do this. We ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, are there, is there anyone that I'm holding a debt against? Is there anyone that I need to forgive? God, check my heart. Illuminate me. Show me, is there anything in me? Am I angry at someone? Am I harboring unforgiveness? Is there bitterness? God, show me. Because I want to rip that root of bitterness out of my life. I want to choose to forgive. That's what we're called to. I love this in Mark 11 says this. Well, let me say this. There's a scripture. Do you remember the scripture that says, uh, says give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and run, running over will men give into your lap. Most pastors preach that text and they apply it to money. Give and it will be given to you. Give, and to the degree that you give, it'll be given back to you. And most pastors preach that about money for whatever reason. The context is actually not about money, it's about mercy. Give mercy, and it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. How many of you think it would be good if you had some mercy running over in your life? Who could use a little extra grace today? Who could use a little extra forgiveness today? Man, I tell you what, if you want to receive mercy and grace, man, start planting seeds of grace in other people's lives. You'll see a harvest of mercy in your life. Mark chapter 11 says this, but when you are praying, when you're praying, Jesus says, first, forgive anyone. So he's like, before you start asking for that new car, before you start asking for that girlfriend or that spouse, here's the first thing you, could probably, you should probably do. You need to forgive. Is there anyone, Lord, that I'm holding something against? Lord, I don't want that. He says you should forgive anyone for holding a grudge, that you're holding a grudge against. Look at this. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And this is an interesting text. Some may read this and think, is that saying that God's forgiveness is conditional? Is that saying that his grace is conditional and that I don't forgive people and then he won't forgive me? Like, what is that saying? Listen, let me be crystal clear. I am a gospel-centered, Christ-centered, grace-preaching pastor. I'm all about grace. It is, it, is, it is solo gratia. It is grace alone. That's what the Latin is. It is all grace. It is not works. It is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we are saved. That's how we're forgiven. It's all grace. God's forgiveness is not conditional. His grace is not conditional. But listen, what I do see in the teachings of Jesus is there's some correlation and connection between the forgiveness that we receive and the expectation that we will release forgiveness to other people. There is some integration of the, the, the forgiveness and the grace that we receive and that, that now there's an expectation that because we're grace people, we're forgiven people, we'll forgive other people. You see, here's how it breaks the cycle. If hurt people hurt people, Jesus teaches us that forgiven people forgive people. This is what children of the light do. We forgive people that have hurt us. We extend grace. I had a mentor one time and I loved him so much, like a spiritual father to me, and he deeply hurt me and let me down. Hurt me so bad. I, was, I became so upset, so hurt, so offended. I, I thought, I'm never gonna be able to get over this. How am I gonna get over this? And I remember I, I was dealing with my own hurt and pain, walking through that, and I was at a dinner with another pastor, a dear friend of mine, and it wasn't intended to be for me, at least from this guy. It was, 
I just think it was the Holy Spirit that said something in a moment. We're in the middle of eating and, and Pastor John, he's, he's like, literally, he's like doing this and midway through a bite, he looks up, looks straight at me. He said, you know what, Jason? We should extend the grace we hope we someday never need. We should extend the grace that we hope we someday, someday never need. What's he saying? He's like, in your heart and in your mind, you're saying, how could that man do that? I would never do that. He's like, you're human. You don't know what you would do. So you should extend grace to him that you hope you one day never need. Extend it. See, we're to be people of grace. And maybe you're here today, you're like, I get your point. I should forgive. Got it. Let's move on. Okay, how? How do you forgive? How do I forgive? How do we extend grace to people? Let me read you the scripture and I'll, I'll give you the point and I'll get really practical. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Look how radical this is. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. It's interesting because here, notice that Jesus is not saying that this is stuff that he's going to do supernaturally in you. He's saying, you are going to do this in the natural. And I'll bring some supernatural later, but naturally you have to do the first step. You have to choose grace over grudge. It's a decision is what Jesus is saying. You have to choose, I'm gonna bless that person. I'm gonna love that person. I'm gonna do good to that person. It doesn't matter what they've done to me. It doesn't matter what they've said to me. I'm gonna choose, I'm going to, I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna live different. I'm gonna choose grace. I'm gonna be a person of grace over a grudge. It sounds like a spiritual platitude, but let me tell you, it's so powerful and it's so practical. We have to make a decision that, listen, forgiveness, it starts with a decision, not an emotion. I didn't feel like forgiving my father in 2004 but I made a decision, I'm going to be a man of grace and forgiveness. I will not be trapped and stuck on this page in my life as a young man or in my future, but I'm choosing to be different from the culture around me. I'm making a decision, I'm gonna be a man of grace, a man of forgiveness. And you make a decision because why? Your feelings are terrible leaders, but they're better followers. So you make a decision to do what the Bible says and what Jesus's instructions are, make the right decision and wait for your emotions to just come following after you. But don't wait for, your, for you to feel like, I feel like I should forgive. I feel like they've paid their debt. Now I'm going to, to, de to decide to forgive them. No, no, no. Make a decision today. I choose to be a person of grace. Bless those that curse you, Jesus says. He says, do good to those that serve people, be a blessing to people. Man, that's hard to do. Pray? You're like, Jason, you want me to pray? For I'll pray they get hemorrhoids and COVID, like, right? <laughs> I'll pray for them, all right? I remember reading that scripture and I was like, wait a second, Jesus, I can't do this stuff. And I feel like he said, well, what's the, what's the one that you can do from afar that you don't have to do up close? Well, I can pray for my dad. For the next two years, I prayed for my father. The prayer at the beginning sounded like this. I was kind of praying through my teeth. God, I pray you bless him. Bless him. Bless his business. You know. Eventually, my prayers got longer and my heart got softer. My prayers went from short and Bless him too. God, I pray that you would bless his marriage. He was now married, by the way, to the woman that he left, my mom. But I said, Lord, I pray you bless their marriage. Bless their family. God, I pray that you provide all their needs. And my prayers got longer. My heart got softer. Why? Because in my prayers, God wasn't using my prayers to change my dad. He was using my prayers to change me. He began to soften my heart 
give me a compassion and an empathy for my father. But listen to me, you go somewhere in prayer before you do in person. The reason maybe you haven't been able to forgive that person in person is because you haven't gone there in prayer. Go there in prayer first. Begin to pray blessings over them. It may be hard. I'm not telling you it's easy. It was so hard to forgive my dad. But boy, am I grateful that I did. We reconciled. And by the way, forgiveness doesn't always equal reconciliation. You don't have to reconcile with every person relationally that you forgive. But God called me to reconcile with my father. In 2004, we became friends again. The debt was canceled. We began to, we'd eat breakfast together almost weekly or bi-weekly, and we had a beautiful six years together until we began to have a series of strokes, and he deteriorated over the next few years. And in 2018, he went to be with Jesus. But I remember those days when God restored us and reconciled us. I'd, when my dad was laying in his hospital bed, and I would just, he loved the word of God, so I'd read him the word of God from his Bible. My son's right around me and just holding their grandfather's hand, and I would read the word of God to him. It was a beautiful thing. And God restored all that was lost. But I had to make a decision to forgive him. The second one is this. You'll never forgive unless you have a new point of reference. You have to fix your focus. See, the reason why in Ephesians 4, he says this. He says, you need to forgive just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. What Paul's admonition was this. The person that you are harboring unforgiveness, the problem is, is that you're fixing your focus on what they have done not on what God has done to you. He's like, so if you want the strength and the power to forgive them for what they have done, stop rehearsing the problem. Stop reciting the story. Stop going back and victimizing yourself. Stop ruminating and meditating and contemplating on what they've done and fix your eyes upon what Jesus has done on the cross, how he paid for your sin. He canceled your debt. He forgave you fully, freely, and finally, he'll never bring it up again. You're no longer the victim. You're the victor. You've been forgiven and you've been reconciled to your father. Fix your heart and your affection and your focus on that. And when you begin to do that, it's amazing. You're no longer trying to forgive someone in your own strength. You're forgiving someone out of the strength and the grace and the love of God. That's where the power comes from. You gotta fix your focus. And guess what? The only way that God the Father can forgive you and to forgive me of our sins and to call us into right standing with him, you know how God does that, God the Father? He no longer focuses on what you've done in your sin, but he focuses on what his son has done on the cross. And that's how the Father forgives us. Could it be that it's the same way that we experience or that we extend forgiveness to other people the last few statements for you is this, is, is, I love this. You will never be required to give anyone more grace than God has already given you. And forgiven people, they forgive people. C.S. Lewis said it like this, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. You see, it's this theology and this Christian ethic that you and I as forgiven people, we draw from that. And we don't just become these beneficiaries of forgiveness, but now we have this new practice and this new standard and this new lifestyle that now because we've received forgiveness, we are people that forgive other people. I learned this very personally when I was 17, 18 years old. My life was a mess. I began to try to anesthetize the pain in my life through drugs and alcohol and different things. And one night I came home to my mom's apartment. She was a woman of prayer. 
She, she, it was like two in the morning and she's on her knees praying. I mean, my mom was one of those people that like anoint everything with oil. Like I'd go in my bedroom, I'd have like handprints on my walls. I'm like, mom, what is, what is this? She's like, it's anointing oil. And I was like, mom, that is canola oil. She literally had canola oil anointing my bedroom. I'm like, mom, that's not cool. But she was a woman of prayer. One night I came home and I was so out of my mind. I was extremely intoxicated and I literally tripped over my mom while she was praying for me. And I was coming home to grab some extra money to go back out. And, and by the time I got out of, the, out of the apartment to my car, my mom had her little car, this little Ford Fiesta, this tiny little car. It was parked right behind my car. And she was like, son, I can't let you leave. You're, you're, you're not okay to drive. You, you, I don't want you to hurt yourself. She's just being a loving mom. Not trying to restrict me, just trying to protect me. She's like, son, you can't leave. And I got so angry, so angry. I literally bashed her windshield in. And I pushed her car into the ditch, put it in neutral, pushed it into the ditch. I got him, I was trying to get in my car and she just stood in front of the door. And I looked at my mom and I'll never forget, I, I said this and I knew it would hurt her because hurt people hurt people. I knew what to say to hurt her. I said, you know what? You need to get out of my way right now. I said, if you don't, you're gonna, in the same way you lost your husband, you're gonna lose me. You couldn't keep him and you can't keep me. And these massive tears streamed down her face. And she walked away and I got in my car and I drove off and completely lost my buzz. Some of you think that's not funny, but it ruined my night. The rest of my night was ruined. I couldn't even have fun. I was so angry and then I was, I felt so ashamed that I would even say that to somebody that loves me. I stayed out that night because I didn't want to face my mom and I came home the next morning when I walked in. And I had been rehearsing like the prodigal son, my apology speech. Mom, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have. Okay, I got it. I walked in and my mom was cooking some eggs and bacon. And I sat at the kitchen table, she didn't say anything. And it was about a minute of silence, it felt like an hour. And I said, Mom, I just wanna tell you, I'm, and she interrupted me and she said, Dad cancer, I already forgave you. I said, what? She said, I forgave you when you drove off last night. I said, Mom, how could you, how could you, how could you forgive me so easily after I said that to you? She says, son, I'm a forgiven woman. And only those that have been forgiven truly know how to forgive. You see, that's the truth. Forgiven people, they forgive people. And some of you in here, it may be hard for you to forgive someone because you haven't experienced the grace of God through Christ Jesus, but today could be your day. I want you to bow your heads with me. God, I just thank you for your son, Jesus, that because of Jesus, he, he willingly made a decision to go to the cross to pay our debt. See, the wages or the debt of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus, we only have access to that because of what you have done. And even though we've done so many things and we deserve death, we deserve punishment, we deserve pain. And yet, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so right now we just acknowledge that and we say, thank you for your grace. Today, if you're here and you say, Jason, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I know that I've made a lot of mistakes and I need the grace of God to forgive me. I need a fresh start. The Bible says that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus on the cross, the Bible says if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of all of your sins. What does that look like today? You can just say a simple prayer like this, say, Jesus, I give you my life. 
I put my trust in you. Forgive me. Cancel my debt today. Give me freedom and a new life. I choose to follow you. God, I just thank you for every person that's made that decision in their heart today. Fill them with your spirit. May they be filled with courage to follow you all the days of their life. For others of you that are here today or maybe at one of our other campuses, you're like, I needed to hear this message today because there's someone I need to forgive. If that's you, I just wanna pray right now a simple prayer for you. I, I don't want you to raise your hand. You know who you are, but I want you to imagine that person's face in your mind right now. And God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would do for them what you did for me. Will you give them the grace and the love and the forgiveness through your strength to extend to those people so that they could cancel the debt. They can uproot bitterness from their life. God, they don't need to be stuck in this, this pain and stuck in this offense, but God, it's, it's time today to turn the page. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.